My name's Tina Hedrick and I'm from the Gibson City area. I am currently a hairstylist. I own a salon here in Champaign. I was just at the end of my road and I didn't really know where I was going. The, the first time I walked into the building, I sat in the very last row and the lights dimmed and Danny started talking and it was like he was talking directly to me. And I learned that there were a lot of people around that were living the life that I was living and they were turning to God to get out of whatever they were in. First Christian Church is a very come-as-you-are church. Um, I didn't find judgment here. I found, you know, inclusiveness and just people that wanted to help, not necessarily because they felt like they had to, but because they want to. I had a lot of anxiety in my life. My whole adult life, I had kind of you know, breezed through. I opened a business. I had two kids by the time I was 30. I never had really any issues to lean on anyone. I had gotten into a relationship with someone that was an alcoholic, self-proclaimed functioning alcoholic. I started living this life that I knew was wrong. I loved this person and I, I felt like I could help him. I stayed, I, I started toiling away in my weariness and I, I was exhausted. I was living this life with this person that I knew was wrong, but I didn't know how to get out of. Early on, I tried to get him help, and, and we, we talked to a counselor, we would talk to his family. Um, it, it, it was an open issue with, with him and his family and his coworkers. And over time, you just, somebody that doesn't want help, you kind of become desensitized to it. And if I'm being really honest, I, I started drinking along with him. And so I wasn't pulling the red flag out, having him stop. I was enabling him and I was enabling myself. And we were living this life for selfish reasons, not for God. We were, we were living for our selfish pleasure or thrills. And it's, you, you fall off track really quick when you, you live a life like that. It's like you're on a hamster wheel going 100 miles an hour, getting nowhere fast, and you get bogged down, you get tired. I became a very negative person. I became unrecognizable as my personality. I became someone that I didn't even recognize anymore. Um, I, I was ashamed. Uh, I, my family didn't know this was happening. My friends didn't know this was happening. I, I, I hid it. I hid it. We, we lived in this addiction that nobody really knew about. It, it was comfort, and I didn't know how to get out. I hit rock bottom when I started having some health issues, and I had to have a major surgery, and I had to be off work for several weeks, and it, it was a very scary time. A new salon had opened up in town, and I had turnover in my business for the first time ever. So as my world was crashing down and I was hitting rock bottom, I had to change something in my life. And what happened with my surgery, although it was such a scary time in my life, I didn't sober up for like two or three days, which we had done in the past. It was like for two or three weeks. And I started gaining some clarity and I, and I decided I was done running on that hamster wheel. I, I was ready to jump off. So I wanted to take a different path in life and I started doing anything I could that was healthy, and that included eating healthy, starting running, I started writing a book, um, 
I decided that I was going to walk into the doors of this church because I was so anxiety-ridden and depressed that I was suicidal. And I, I, I knew as a mom of two and a business owner, I looked like I had it all together, but I, I didn't. And I needed something bigger. And when I walked in the doors of this church, I found it. I found God. And I found so many people that rallied around me and anything Danny said, if it was group link or first serve or um, getting baptized, I mean, I I did anything Danny said that, and I started gaining this clarity and this peace that only God can give you. Um, and I started turning my life around. I started sorting through anything that bothered me any kind of burden, any kind of negativity in my life. And I, I would sort it out and I would think about it and I would write it down and I would crumple it up, I'd throw it away, you know. I have learned from coming to church or finding God that surrender is very important. Things that you don't surrender become your responsibility to maintain. Surrender is something that you consciously have to do every day when you wake up. I don't know if you guys remember those bands, those little rubber bands we used to wear that said WWJD, what would Jesus do? It, it, that's really what surrender looks like. It's it's waking up every day and living, asking yourself that, you know, any stop reacting out of emotion and start reacting with intention. If, if you live your life out of intention, you're, you're going to live the most incredible life. And, and God will show you what that intention is. I believe that God wants me to tell my story to love others. I have been very open and honest with my story. And before, when I was so anxiety-ridden and depressed, I couldn't see other people. I, I was just so stuck in what I was in. Um, but once I gained that clarity, I could walk into a room and see somebody that was struggling, and I could sit down with them. And I, what happens is when you're very open with someone, they become open too. And so God isn't looking for your perfection. God isn't looking for your, you know, your failures or your circumstances that you're in now. God is looking for your surrender. What I feel like God has put on my heart to love other people is just to be open and honest with them. Give them a safe space because I felt feel like if I would have had someone that I leaned on or could have listened to, that would have helped me. And I, that's what I found here at First Christian Church was just that, you know, a lot of people that wanted to listen and a lot of people that wanted to love and, and show you kindness and grace and, and all that. So that's what I feel like God put on my heart to love other people. If I did, if I hadn't walked into First Christian Church, um, my story would have looked a little different today because I wouldn't be sitting here. Um, my kids' lives would have looked a little bit different today because they wouldn't have started out their life with like little tiny burdens. It would have been big, huge burdens of their mom's suicide, and and that's really heavy stuff. But th that's how important faith is, and that's how important this church is, and that's how important community is, and loving other people, and being kind, and really following God's Word. I mean, if you want six-pack, you don't go out and eat Twinkies and sit on the couch. If you if you want to be financially stable, you don't, you know, go to the casino. You sit in a financial planning office. If you want to live in God's peace, you have to live in God's Word. You have to come to church. You have to do your daily devotions. You have to, you know, be part of the community, and and that's really it. Life is only as hard as you make it. My name is Tina Hedrick, and this is my story.
It's been three years that they spent with Jesus. Three years watching him heal. Three years following him throughout the countryside, hearing him teach these new things. He was bringing hope. He was building bridges. He was breaking down barriers. He was caring for those that no one would care for. He was restoring those who thought couldn't be restored. They watched him perform these these insane miracles of turning water to wine. He would walk on water. He fed thousands of people with a single boy's lunchable. Only to, at the end of this, what? Die? Yeah. It's because that was the plan all along. That, That was God's design that when Jesus took his final breath on the cross, that he would stay in that grave for three days. And I bet to Peter and the other disciples, those three days felt just as long as those last three years. The thing is, that's not where we're picking up the story today. We're, we're a couple weeks after that triumphant resurrection. After Jesus has looked and commissioned his disciples to go out. After he's told them, now you, you go and do a work just like this. And I will be with you. My spirit will be in you doing this along with you. So what do they do? Are they carrying on the way? Are they going from town to town, city to city, doing what Jesus had told them? Are they transforming the world with that good news, that gospel message? No. In fact, we're going to see them back where Jesus first found them three years ago, fishing. It's what felt easy. It's what felt comfortable to them. You see, Peter and some of these guys, they they go back to their roots, except now they're a little rusty. They're sitting in this boat one morning and they're catching nothing. It's been a few years since they've actually had to actually catch fish. And I can imagine as they're sitting there, reflecting on what just happened, that they begin to have a conversation with one another. Things perhaps like, "Is, is this really what we should be doing? Did I I just waste the last three years of my life? I could have sworn Jesus was that guy. He was going to change everything. But little did they know that while their, their nets were empty and their hearts the same, that that man was waiting for them on the shore to answer that question of what will you do next? once and for all, for them and for us. I want to welcome you to week six of our First Things First teaching series here at First Christian Church. However you may be joining us, we're just glad that you've taken part of your Sunday out to spend time with us. Whether that's in one of our locations at Champaign or Urbana, you're catching us on Fox, Facebook, Church Online, or celebrating the church where you are. See, the last six weeks we've been in this series, First Things First. It's a series about what we want to be about. That's pretty good. You should write that one down. But but we started this this series off talking about our new mission statement as a church. And this is where Danny kind of kicked things off a few weeks ago. He said, the new mission statement of first is pretty simple. And it's this, is that our mission is helping each other follow Jesus in the simplest, in the most general way possible. That's who we want to be as a church. That's what we want to be known for. But we didn't want to just say, this is, this is kind of what we want to say. We're not just going to plaster it on a wall. We also wanted to say, though, how are we going to get that done? 
who do we need to become as a church and as a Christ followers in the community of our buildings, in the community at large of the Champaign-Urbana area and the entire world? How should we be known for what we look like, what we do, how we act, how we make decisions? And so that's where we've been going through our new values as a church. And if you've missed any of those, I want to encourage you, find some time this week to go back and watch any of the ones that you've missed. But today we wrap up this series with this fifth value of active multiplication. That our job, our role, our duties as disciples and Christ followers is to actively be looking ways to pour into other people's journey. Dare I say it, to help each other follow Jesus. So if you have your Bible, I invite you to turn with me to the book of John, the gospel of John, fourth book in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the four guys' names. And today what we're going to see, we're going to pick up from this story of Peter and some of the disciples. They had just gone fishing. Jesus has just kind of saw their empty hall and has performed yet again another miracle in their midst saying, hey, take your nets. I know it's empty. I know you're a little rusty. I know you're not quite as good as this as you used to. Throw it on the other side of the boat. And when they pulled this net out, it was so full, 153 fish. That's a lot of fish. Let's just say that's, that's a lot of fish. So they come in, they cook up breakfast, and then Jesus kind of pulls a fast one on Peter, and he begins to say, hey, Peter, since I've got you here, guy, let me, let me just ask you a question. Let me, let me just, just kind of catch up about something, about where you're headed in life. And this is how our story picks up this morning. John chapter 21, starting in verse 15, says this. It says, when they, so this is Peter and some of the disciples, had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, Feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, or Peter, do you love me? And he answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, take care of my sheep. Now, Jesus isn't talking about he's got a flock. He's talking about the, the people of God, us, the church, the Christians, oftentimes referred to as the sheep. And then verse 17, it happens again a third time. It says, the third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He says, Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, Feed my sheep. So they've cleaned up breakfast. Jesus singles out Peter and he has this conversation in front of the other disciples. And he's like, yo, Pete, that's good to know, man. You love me? You love me more than these, Pete? Peter's like, Jesus, yeah, dog, you know, I'm tight with you. We're good. You know that I love you. And to me, there's two interesting things about this conversation. The first thing is that it starts off with when, when Peter asks or Jesus asked that first question, do you love me more than these? Now, some say he's referring to the other disciples. Hey, Jesus, or Peter, do you love me more than these other guys sitting around this campfire? Some say he's maybe gesturing to all of Galilee saying, do you love me more than, than all of these people, all of the Gentiles, all the Jewish people who claim to love, do you love me more than anyone else? 
And then some scholars believe that, that Jesus, and this is where I land with it, is referencing the fishing gear, the boat, the nets, the hull that just got brought in. And here's why I think that's what Jesus is asking is because we just left a narrative, a miracle of fishing. Jesus has looked at Peter and said, Peter, drop your nets, follow me, and I will make you a fisher of men. Only for Peter to return to that boat three years later when he felt hurt, perhaps confused, unsure of where to go next in following Jesus. So I think Jesus is kind of looking at Peter and he's saying, do you love me more than just what you know? Do you trust me more than what you're used to? Do you you love me more than what is comfortable, what comes easy? Do you love me more than what you feel like you can control in your life? Are you willing to love and follow and trust me even more than that best fallback plan that you have? Just think about it. Jesus does not describe the way of the disciple as one that's going to be overly easy. In fact, he says more often than not, that narrow is the road to pick up your cross daily and follow me, to not worry about what tomorrow holds, that it's never gonna be overly glamorous or benign in its process. And so I think that's what this conversation is kind of getting at between Peter and Jesus. It's this three times, do you love me, Peter? Do you love me? Three times, feed my sheep, do this in the kingdom of God. Three times, it's a pronouncement that Jesus is looking at Peter saying, I know you can do this. I think it's three times to kind of overshadow those three denials that Peter had the day before Jesus's death. And Peter's response is interesting. You see, the Greek tells us that the first two times he responds with Jesus, you know that I love you as a a cognitive. You know, I have told you, I have said, you know that I love you. But that third time, the word no is an experiential no. Meaning Jesus, I have experienced love with you, in you, through you. You know, because we share this experience together. See, if Jesus is looking at Peter and he wants him to to drop the nets again, to follow him again, to go out and make disciples, to to answer that call again, you notice Jesus's question. It's the same question over and over and over. Three times, three, the number of completion, the number of fulfillment. You know what Jesus doesn't ask Peter? He says, hey, Peter, do you feel competent enough to feed my sheep? Do you feel ready to feed my sheep? Peter, Peter, do you, do, 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 you, uh, do you feel comfortable feeding my sheep? Do you feel eloquent enough to feed my sheep? No, no, he just asks him one simple question. Do you love me? If so, are you in? Are you gonna feed my sheep? Are you gonna leave those nets behind, what's easy, what's comfortable, what you know, and trust in my love? I see, I think when, when Jesus is asking Peter this question, do you love me? It's like saying also though, will you follow me? See, it's intertwined, they're connected. The, the do you love Jesus is the same thing as will you follow him? They go hand in hand, they go together. See, it's kind of like, imagine that time when you uh, uh, turn 16 and you're looking forward to having a car. 
I remember when I was turning 16, uh, my, my mom helped me buy a, a, a Toyota pickup, a Toyota Tacoma stick shift, little silver truck with a white camper shell. The thing was pretty legit. I loved it. It was awesome. But I remember my mom sitting me down and having this conversation saying, so, so Eric, what do you look forward to having a car for? Well, I get to drive around. I get to go hang out with my friends. It's going to take me from A to B. It, it brings freedom, all that type of stuff. But then I remember she saying, but also, how are you going to take care of it? I was like, what do you mean take care of it? She's like, well, are you going to wash it? Are you going to fill it up with gas? Are you going to replace the tires when you need to? Are you going to check and change the oil? All of those things, the responsibility that comes with owning a car. At that moment, I hadn't considered that. I loved the idea of having a car and what it did for my life, but I hadn't considered the responsibility that came with it. You know, do you love having a car and the responsibility that comes with love in having a car or you just love the idea of having a car? I think it's the same thing. When it comes to following Jesus, do you love Jesus or just the idea of loving Jesus? I think for, for some of us, that's a real struggle. You might need to pause right now and ask yourself, consider that question inside. Because I think too often we, we, we love the idea of Jesus, the idea of faith, the idea of church, the idea of discipleship, but do we actually lean into the following him part that comes with it? You see, I think what Jesus is getting at in this conversation with Peter that we can walk away with is that the most influential person in the kingdom of God is not the one who is the most talented, It's not the one who is the most gifted. It's the one who is most faithful in their love of Jesus. You see, when I, when I think about, think about that picking of all people to start the church with the, the, the one person to be the first Godfather, so to speak of the first Christian church that, that, that God probably could have picked in my mind, someone better than Peter. Now I'm not saying it was me. Maybe it would be you, but, but Peter of all people, Right? This is the dude who, who denied Jesus to a little girl. The guy who, who had foot and mouth syndrome, the one who was constantly putting the cart ahead of the horse, the one who uh, had that Van Gogh moment where he chopped off the soldier's ear. Peter was the guy who said, I will follow you. I will step out on water only to, de- to deny, to get fearful and to begin to drown. Peter's the one who, when Jesus said, no, no, I must wash your feet. He responds with an, all right, bro, give me a bath then if that's what's going on here, right? Of all the people that God could have chosen to start his church. Seriously? That guy? You want to know why though? Because despite his flaws, Peter kept showing up. And by showing up, Jesus knew his heart. And because of his heart, Jesus knew that he would pour into others. See, when it comes to to love and following Jesus, it's kind of something interesting here I want you to get. I want you to get this. Is that Peter's story is different than yours because of the context. But Peter's story is the same as yours because of the call. You see, no, 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 you weren't a disciple in that context. No, no, you were an eyewitness to Jesus and his miracles. No, no, you don't live in the first century ancient Middle East. But it's the same. 
the same call for you. He has the same spirit living in you as Peter. That Jesus is asking you the chance to point other people to him. That despite his flaws, and yes, despite your flaws, Jesus still wants to use you in powerful and magnificent ways for the sake of his kingdom. The question is, do you love him more than these? See, it's key. It's subtle in this passage when it closes. It ends in verse 19. It gives us this hint. It gives us this connection. When John says in chapter 21, verse 19, he kind of closes this thought out. He says, and Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. We know that Peter's gonna die crucified upside down under Emperor Nero. And then he says, then he said to him, follow me. You see, what happens in the text is, is pretty simple. We don't know. We don't really know what was said next. We don't know where they went next as Jesus followed. All we knew, know, is that Jesus for sure took that next step after Jesus said, do you love me? Yes, follow me. And Peter said, okay. So when it comes to following Jesus, Peter took the next step. It's the same for us, that in following Jesus, the best step, it's always the next one. It's always the next step. So what are you going to do with the call to follow Jesus? That if you love him, will you take step after step after step? You see, at home, uh, our daughter's about 18 months old. Her name's Avery. We call her Mick Avery because she likes to eat a lot of snacks. And so she's, you know, recently going through the walking phase. And, and you know, when the, the toddler takes that first kind of step and everyone just loses their mind, they're like, yes, you did it. We're so proud of you. And they're kind of like, well, I don't really know what's going on, right? And then after the first step comes kind of the waddle where they take one step and then another step with those weak legs. And then and then our daughter Avery, she's in what I call the reckless stumble stage. This is where, you know, they, they put the head down, the arms go back, and then they just kind of go at it as fast as they can, running into walls, tripping on things. It's awesome. We love it, right? Now, the one thing that happens to me is that we don't get upset, like she's 12 months and being like, man, why isn't she running? Well, because they don't run at 12 months, Eric. is like, well, that's not what I saw on YouTube. I was like, okay, whatever, that's the thing, right? And the thing we don't do is they say, well, well, come on, Avery. Last time we did this, you took three steps and this time you only took one. What is your problem? Get it together, little lady. But no, we're there for her. We're there to help her. And Avery, she had mommy, she had daddy, and she had her big brother, Jude. Jude's four years old. Now, one of the things we didn't do is we didn't tell Jude that he couldn't help her. Even though Jude wasn't as mature, he doesn't walk as fast. He can't run as fast as, as daddy or mommy can, but he wanted to help. He wanted to hold her hand. He wanted to help her out when she fell down. Even though he's maybe not the most mature walker that there is, he had been there. He had done that. He had taken that step and he took ownership saying, I am going to help my baby sister learn to walk well. It's the same thing for us as following Christians, following Jesus towards one another. If we say that we love Jesus and we follow after him, there's still that command to feed the sheep, to actively multiply the poor into one another. The question though becomes, were you willing to love and follow Jesus more than those things? Now, I don't know 
what those things might be for you. Those things, maybe it's a job, maybe it's a wallet, maybe it's a schedule, a priority, a relationship. Perhaps it's, it's a, a desire, a dream that you have that you're unwilling to let go of, that you say you love Jesus, but when rubber hits the road, you find that thing to be more comfortable. You find that person to be more comforting. You find that plan to be a better fallback security blanket than the love of God, the the gospel of Jesus, the kingdom of heaven here on earth today. And Jesus is asking us that same question. He asked Peter on that beach, 2,000 years ago, do you love me? If so, I need you to take part in feeding my sheep. Follow me together. So if you're one of those people who's saying, I love Jesus, and I hope you are. If not, I wanna challenge you to wrestle with that question. But if you're saying, I I love Jesus, I, I want to follow after him, how do I help feed other sheep in the kingdom of God? How do we actively multiply, have active multiplication as a value, as disciples and as a church? Here's a couple thoughts for you to think about. Write these down, uh, follow along in your note sheet as we think about what it means to take part in feeding the sheep. Number one, or letter A, I should say, love Jesus, not just the idea of Jesus. Genuinely love Jesus and true love demands action. It it requires a responsibility that comes with that love. Love Jesus, be committed to him. Prioritize your schedule, your day, your week, your month around him, not try to fit him into the spare time that you have. Love Jesus, truly, not just the idea of what he might do for you, could do, could potentially help you out within your life. Love Jesus. Jesus, not just the idea of him. B, is talk to Jesus more than you talk about Jesus. Now I'll be honest, this is, this is probably a big, big spot for me at times. I spend a lot of time talking about Jesus. It's what I do for a living. It's what I'm doing right now. I'm talking about Jesus, but I have to ask myself, constantly look in the mirror of myself as a pastor, as a husband, as a father, but more importantly, as a disciple of Jesus, how much do I talk with Jesus? How much do I spend time with Jesus? Have that growing vital relationship in his word, in prayer, in generosity, in serving other people. How much do I talk to Jesus? More than just talking about what I hope or think or desire or speculate or ponder, what could he do for me? The third thing, is always remember that it's harder alone. I think this is the beauty of what we're called to do as Christians. We're not called to go at it alone. So when you think about but actively multiplying this discipleship, helping feed another sheep, that as you follow Jesus, you're helping each other follow Jesus. One of the things we're called to do is to never go at it alone. Jesus didn't say it would be easy. This idea of redemption and restoration, it requires community. It requires togetherness that you cannot go at it alone. You can try, but it's going to be so much harder going at it alone. The fourth thing, and this is a key one, is that the gospel has come to you because it needs to go to someone else. You're not patient zero. Well, maybe you are. That starting with you, 
so that it can go to someone else. I think sometimes that, we, that I hear stories of people who say, well, well, I met Jesus, I was saved, I got baptized, I, I, I repented of my sins, therefore I'm good. I don't need to do anything more with my faith. And Jesus is looking at you. He's looking at me. He's looking at Peter. He's looking at anyone who has that approach. He's saying, that's not what it's about. Follow me, reject that comfort, reject those things, drop those nets, feed my sheep. Follow after me. The gospel, if you have received that good news that Jesus Christ is Lord, faith in him through grace and that love, it's come to you, but Jesus wants you to take it to someone else. Here's the last thing when it comes to active multiplication is that we need to kind of ask ourselves this question over and over and over again. Who's next? Who is next in your life? that you can help take a next step with Jesus. Who's next? Who's the person that you believe God might be placing on your heart, that the spirit is compelling you to lean into, to encourage, to, 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 to invite to church, to join a group, to take a step up in leadership, to say, have you ever tried giving before? Because let me tell you, I wasn't really thinking for it. And then all of a sudden I did it. And let me tell you, it's one of the biggest blessings I've ever received. Who is next for you that you can help take a next step in following Jesus? You know, we've just spent the last six weeks talking about who we are as a church and who we want to become. So let me just spend a few more moments as we close out this message about where we are headed and how we want to help each other follow Jesus. The team has kind of spent some time over the last few months thinking and praying over this decision. That, that we have our mission, our new mission to help each other follow Jesus. We have those values to describe who we are and who we want to become to live those out. And so we believe that God has led us to a vision that over the next five years in the life of our church, in the life of our community around us, and in the life of those individuals who call home. And this is it. I want to introduce it to you. I want, I want you to think about this, this task, this goal collectively as a body of Christ that we can step out towards together. And it's this. And in the next five years, the vision of first is to see 5,000, yes, 5, comma, 0, 0, 0, 5K, 5,000 next steps of discipleship. You know, 5,000, that's a big number, right? Now, I'm not saying you need to take 5,000 steps yourself. No, no, I'm saying collectively, as a church, it is our goal that if we are being faithful to Jesus, that we can see 5,000 next steps of discipleship. See, sometimes maybe you've heard about the three Bs of the churches. Oftentimes, they, sometimes churches refer to growth with the three Bs. You've got butts, buildings, and bucks. Right? And what we didn't want to do is to say the vision of first is to have a bigger or different or better building alone. We didn't want to just say all that matters to us is just having more, more butts in seats or having a bigger budget or whatever. All of those things are good. All of those things can be helpful. But rather, what our elders and our staff team landed on is said, hey, instead, let's focus on being healthy disciples. Let's focus on the person who's new this first Sunday to the person that's been here for the last 60 years because everyone has a part to play in this vision. From the seat 
to the street, from the group to the serve team, from that event to the generosity, from the attender to the elder. This is what's key. And what I love about this vision is that we all have a next step or a few steps that we can take, that we all have an opportunity to take part in this vision of seeing discipleship happen here in the life of first. So what are some of those next steps? Well, what are we gonna consider of that 5,000? If we put out a number, we gotta track it, right? So let me give you, just, here's just some of the things. It's not all of the things, but some of the things that as we celebrate, maybe month after month after month, how we are doing at this discipleship happening in our church. It's things like this. That first time that someone connects, they, 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 they come in person and fill out a connect card or, or, or they check us out online and watch a service and they say, hey, I wanna know more about your church. That's a step of discipleship. The first time maybe you join a group or a team, that's a huge step because you're kind of maybe reorienting your schedule, your giving of your time and talents back to the church. Maybe the first time you become a leader, that maybe you've been a, been a part of a team, but this time you're leading the team, you've been in a group, now you're leading a group. That's a huge step of discipleship in the life of someone. Maybe it's the first time you give or you become a reoccurring giver saying, God, I trust you. I love you. So therefore I'm going to let you have part of my finances. Maybe it's that step of baptism saying, I want the world to know that I am yours and you are mine. And maybe it's something about your spiritual formation. There's a step of, I just wanna grow deeper in my faith. These are just some of the things, just some of the things, not all of the things we're gonna track, but ultimately the cool part is, is that no matter where you are in your faith, no matter where you are in your faith in Jesus, you get to take an active role in seeing this vision come to life. Man, there's so many steps that we can take together and we need you to take that step because we exist to help each other follow Jesus. That's our mission. That's what we're about. And we wanna see 5,000 of those steps of helping each other follow Jesus in the next five years in the life of first. So let me close though this morning with something that we think is gonna be a great tool and resource to help these 5,000 next steps happen. So uh, let's just take a quick breather for a second, all right? Shake it out a little bit, okay? All right, we're almost done, like, like two minutes, guys, cool, all right? All right, grab your phone, I know, okay? Yes, grab your phone. If you're an abandoned person, you hold me talk all about time about fake, fake Bibles on the phones, all that type of stuff. I repented of those ways, forgive me, right? Grab your phone, okay? If you're in Champagne, Urbana, Fox, online, and grab your phone, pull it out, find that app store, right? Whether it's, it's Apple, Google, one of the other ones, whatever it is, find your phone, open up that app store, hit that little search, that little magnifying glass, that little search button, right? Press that on your phone and then type in these words. First Christian Champaign-Urbana or First Christian Church Champaign-Urbana or just First Champaign-Urbana and your app store is gonna pull up a brand new app that we just released in the last few days that we wanna introduce to you the First Christian app. This isn't an app just for the sake of, of having an app. Don't you see it, right? It looks pretty pretty. You know, you're gonna want it. Your friends are gonna be jealous of you having it on the phone. Whoa, how do I get that sleek looking app? Okay, anyways, shout out to Blaine Wright and all the work he did. He's been, been crushing it. Search first Champagne Urbana, download this app. 
This isn't just a way for us to say, look how cool we are, we got an app. Rather, this is gonna be a tool and resource for you to take next steps in the life of our church. Because on this app, you'll be able to do a whole lot of different things. Let me show you some of the things that this app will allow you to do. First thing is you can follow church online. You'll be able to to click and and watch directly through the app. And that's where you can get into that portal and chat with people while you're watching church. Some of the other things that you can do, um, you can take sermon notes. You can fill out a connect card in that app saying, hey, I want to follow along with this message so I can talk about it with people in our group. I can fill out that connect card. Take that first step of finding out more about first. Some of the other things that you can do is you can sign up to give, that when you hear that message, that answer that call to push forward the mission of first in that life-giving generosity, you can do that right through the app. You can uh, follow along in the Bible, that when I say, hey, open up your Bibles too, when Danny says, if you would, turn with me in your Bibles too, you can pull out the app and it's gonna be right there waiting for you. You can listen to the Bible, you can read the Bible on our app here. And also, there's a great new thing that we can do is that we're going to provide spiritual formation kind of tools for you to lean in on. And so we're kind of kicking off this app with the seven day prayer guide. It's seven days of helping you understand what does it mean to pray and how can I pray? That whenever you hit this little next steps tab at the bottom of your app, it's going to be a great way to help you take whatever that next step app is. And so our first one is this Lord's prayer prayer guide. Over the next seven days, we invite you, download the app, open it, make sure the notifications are on so that we can learn how to best be praying for one another, our church, and for God to move in our lives. Guys, this is a great and exciting time here in the life of First, but let me remind you, That the only reason we have this mission, the only reason that we have this opportunity, the only reason we have this call to take next steps and help each other follow Jesus is because of Jesus himself. That life, that death, that resurrection. And so right now, we want to take that part of our service as we remember and partake in communion together what Jesus did for us a couple thousand years ago. You see, on that fateful night before his death, Jesus was sitting with his disciples. He took a piece of bread. He broke that bread and he said, take and eat. This is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. On that same night, at that same last supper, Jesus held up the cup. And he said, in that moment, this is my blood shed for you. Take and drink. It is his body. It is his blood broken and shed for us that brings us together.